Well, I am so glad to be here with this morning. I am Pastor Paul. I'm the executive pastor here at Faith Fellowship. Pastor Jeff and Pastor Ann, as Mike said, they're not here this weekend. They're in Colorado, just sort of catching their breath before the freight train of the holidays comes around here because of all the activities we have. So we started on a message several months ago, um, which was walking with Pete. The thing I loved about that message, and I've said this before, is the fact that we're not talking about Jesus and how we should be like him. We can try to be like him, but we can't. What I love is talking about walking with Pete, where we're talking about a man who walked with Jesus, who made mistakes, who did things that we would do, that said things that we would say, and Jesus still talked to him, still hung out with him, still dealt with him, and actually grew him and mentored him. And so last week, we actually changed the series, went into Second Peter, and we're talking about watching with Pete and just how we're, we're to look and be ready. And that's this message this morning really ties into that. But this, this morning's message is a little bit different. I was trying to look at it and describe it. And last night after the service, I sort of figured it out. And it's, this is sort of, of a housekeeping message. We've gone through some dynamic words that Peter has said, sort of these great prophetic messages, things that you sit down and go, that's really good. And this week, we sort of stop. And it's like, okay, family, let's get together. Let's sit down. Let's have a family meeting. Let's talk. There's really no profound revelations or messages. It's sort of like everything stopped and it's just a side where you're just you're sitting there at the theater and all the actors stand still and a person talks to you, to the audience. And that's sort of what's happening here when Peter starts in the message that he's going to talk about today. So we're reading from 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. Uh, remain seated while we uh, read the, the word, and then we will stand at the end as we pray to honor the reading of God's word. Second Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in, tr in the truth that you have, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by the way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were witnesses, eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from the heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed in which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Won't you stand as we pray for the reading of God's Word? Father God, I just, I thank you. I know the enemy brings distractions. He brings things to just divert our attention. Father, I just rebuke that right now. I just pray that as we listen to your word, and even though this message is a message of sort of housekeeping and a a message of reminders, just help us to be open to what it is you want us to hear. Amen. Oh, hold on just a second here. Uh, hey, Siri. Uh, remind me to pick up a loaf of bread on the way home today. Oh, Got to pick up that. And then Monday. Okay, I got it. That's what's happening here. Peter is sort of stopping, and he's saying, I need to remind you. I need to set up reminders. And for those of you who are are Apple people, you would say, hey, Siri, remind me to. And so Peter is saying, hey, you need to get your phones out and start putting these reminders in your phone. Because in life, we tend to leave ourselves reminders. The word remind is to cause someone to remember someone or something. A reminder is a person or thing that serves to remind. Reminders are a part of our daily lives. Some reminders are just simple little tasks that just need to be done. Take out the trash, pay a bill, pick up something at the store. And I was telling them last night, my wife is a clinical laboratory scientist. I have to practice that word. I got it all messed up last night. See, I I married up. I can't even say what she does because it's too technical for me. She's up here. I'm sort of down here. But she's a clinical laboratory scientist. She deals with germs all day. And so when I come home and I walk in the door, I get this reminder every day. Did you wash your hands? You have been out in that germy world. Sometimes I go, I'm not a kindergartner. And then I realize I shouldn't have said that. But I realize what she's saying is she's reminding me about something that's important. Now, she would put it in the next category. I leave it in this category as a simple reminder. The next category is some reminders are essential tasks. I need to file my taxes. The application for whatever it is I'm applying for, that deadline is today. I've got to get that in. And we've got to make sure that we, I need to pick up a needed medication. And when you get to that category, if those things aren't done, there are consequences that matter. Be a consequence that makes a difference in your life. Whereas if you just forget to do some of the other things, it's, we'll do it tomorrow, it's no big deal. But in these, if I don't do them, something is going to happen. But then we have some reminders that save lives. These are the big ones. You know, one of the things that, we, that you look at is you take off your baby's shoe when you put him in the back seat of a car and you put it in the car seat right beside you in the front. Because you want to make sure that when you get out of that car, you don't leave the baby there. 
Because there are consequences, major consequences, if you don't do that. But the thing about reminders is they only work if you know about them in the first place. Because you look at the word remind, it's caused someone to remember. And we've all been in those cases where someone will tell you, hey, did you do this? You're married, you've definitely been in this situation. And you go, I had no idea. You never told me. A big discussion ensues after that as to who's, who's on first. But you have to know about them. You have to know about it first. It means because remember is to recall to the mind the act or effort of memory to think of again. And the big fancy Greek word that's used when he talks about this is upomionesco. The fun one, upomionesco. To cause one to remember, to bring remembrance, to recall to mind. And this reminder, when Peter says, I want to remind you, you know, it goes even beyond the fact of the most essential life-saving task, because what he's talking about now is he wants to remind us about eternal things. And he's very clear. He means to remind us about what we already know. He says, though you know them, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And he's telling us you need to remember these things because these things, if you don't do them, have eternal consequences. So Peter wanted to remind of several things that would become critical in the near future. Because Pastor Jeff talked about this. Peter was at a point where he knew Things were changing. He knew that political wins, religious wins were coming. And so he wanted people to remember. The first thing is he wants us to remember that the things that will keep you from falling. We talked about this last week. And when he says, I want, to, want you to remember these things. And the word he uses here means to bring to mind gently. So we might write a note, just like it says up there, just a friendly reminder or just a gentle reminder. And he says, well, those things, because he's sort of referring to the message that he just sent that we talked about last week. So that's where it becomes sort of housekeeping. He goes, remember that message that really was profound and told you how to not fall? Well, I just want to remind you, don't forget about it. So when we read the very first word of the scripture today, some of you already had this in your mind. It brings us to the question is, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's there because in the previous verses, Peter had just discussed eight qualities built upon one another that will keep you from, calling, from falling if you put them in practice. Just not that you know them, but you put them in practice in your life. Faith is our foundation. You add virtue as a guard. You add knowledge as a guide. You add self-control as a balance. You add steadfastness as a stabilizer. And you add godliness as a witness. You add brotherly love, affection as testimony. And lastly, you add love as a delight to the Lord. These are the things that Pastor Jeff walked us through. But you need to put these things in practice in your lives. For if you practice these qualities, he tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
These are more important than taking out the trash, paying the bill, or picking up your medication. They are right up there, if not above, with putting a shoe next to you, reminding you about the baby that's in the back seat. There are eternal consequences if you forget these things. And then he goes on and he says, remember, I won't be with you forever. It's sort of a weird transition there, but what's happening is, is he knows what's coming. He's felt it. And I'm not going to be there forever. I'm not going to be there to remind you every day. I'm not going to be there to stand there and say, did you wash your hands when you walk in the door every day? You're going to have to, at some point in your life, remember that on your own. And he says in verse 13, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by the way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. See, Peter knew he would not be in this body and this world much longer. And he uses a word to describe his body, and it's the word tent. He used the word tent. And we go... When we look at that, we go tent, and everyone goes, ugh, who wants to go camping? It's not my favorite thing. Now, some of you do, but most don't. But what's happening is, is Peter is talking to an audience that, very, that understands tents very well. They live in them. Many of them, that was their home. And they know that when they, you start with a tent, you don't end up in life with the same tent that you probably started with. Because you're going to repair it, you're going to fix it, you're going to do everything that you can, and at some point it's going to wear out and you're going to have to get a new tent. And so he's using that term so they understand it. The Greek word is skenoma, a tent, an encampment, or a tabernacle. And he used this word to teach that our earthly tent is temporary. In 2 Corinthians 5, 1, it says, For we know that if a tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, for we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. See, Pete was not afraid of death in any way of death. We think he was probably about 64 years old when he wrote this. He was not worried about his health. But if it's true about, like it is about us today, as people around us are probably worried about our health. But we're really not. And but Pete knew he would become a prime target with all the political winds, with all the religious winds that were coming, because they weren't happy with the fallout of what had happened when Jesus was crucified. So he's saying, so it's right because of all of these things for me to stir up and remind you. The Greek word is diegiro, to stir up, arouse, awaken fully. Because this is a time when believers could not afford to be found asleep. And he needed to make sure because of some things that were going on, that people weren't putting their faith in him, that people weren't putting faith in the other apostles, that people were putting their faith in God. Because if you put your faith in a man, that man will not always be there. You ever hear a speaker that really says you need to, you, to, to believe in me, put faith in me, then you need to really watch what he's saying. Because what he should be saying is you need to put your faith in God. Because he's the one that will always be there for you. And so he says, I want to be sure that you can recall these most essential things. 
And he just keeps going on and on in this little family meeting he's having. And having, and he says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. How does he do that? Wrote him a letter. He may not have known it, but that letter that he wrote was becoming a part of the Word of God. And what he didn't know was that that letter that he wrote that says, I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to do everything that I can so that in the future you will, I will have a way to remind you that today he is reminding us. He's still reminding us today about this. Making every effort. See, most of we, what we worry about, I may say, well, he's worrying about things. Well, most of what we worry about will not matter a hundred years from now. We're a couple thousand years away from when this was written. Most of what we worry about won't matter a year from now. And the truth is, is probably not even 10 minutes from now that it's going to make a difference. But what Pete knew was that the consistency of your faith will deliver you into eternity with God. And so it's something that we need to worry about and constantly stay on top of. And the next thing he wants us to do is to remember. He breaks it, almost sort of changes tune here. And he says, I want you to remember the centrality of the word of God. Because I think he sort of gets the fact that something is going to happen to these words that he's writing. And he wants to make sure that we know that where they came from. You see, the New Testament didn't exist. It was in the process of being written at this time. Because the earliest list of New Testament books would not appear until about 125 A.D. But see, the thing that Pete was teaching and some of the other apostles were teaching and conveying were from their own eyewitness accounts. He says, because I saw them. Not because someone told me who, who saw it or someone told me that someone told them that someone told them. He says, I saw it. And that becomes very important. Because what was happening is, is there was this big movement of people saying that the apostles, that Peter, were making, making up these stories to make themselves look good. They were making them up to make themselves look important. Trying to put it all on them and have people sort of honor them. As we saw where they try to, try to make Peter a god, and he has to say, no, I'm not. That's what the false teachers were saying, trying to knock down what was he, he was saying. But see, Peter heard the voice of God. Peter saw when things happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He heard God say that. He didn't hear from someone who heard it. He didn't hear a story. He didn't read a book. He saw it. He was there. He got to talk with Jesus about it. And then he begins sort of a statement of defense, which is the rest of what we're sort of reading here, a statement of defense and encouragement. And I'm sort of going to go through the statement of defense, and it'll cover some things that we're going to talk about a little, a little bit further in the message, but I want to go ahead and cover them now. Because, see, he was, when he made, in the statement of defense, he was try, not trying to gain for himself fame. He wasn't a trying, trying to draw attention to himself. He was telling the story of Christ and the redemption for us that was paid for on the cross. And he wanted us to make sure that what he was saying 
that we knew was the Word of God, that we knew was the truth and was something that we could hang on to. He says, I am writing about things I witnessed myself, not things I heard about. You see, these were eyewitness accounts. And it's very important to make sure that we know that and how, when you look at sort of when the theologians look at when things were written, the way they were said, the way they were talked about, how do we know that it's exactly what was going on? And what they said is when you look at the literary word, if it's something that someone told you or something that somebody told somebody that told somebody that told you, you tend to get a little short on the details because you don't get all the details. You get a little piece of it. But if you were there, you know all of the details. And what you, the only thing you may be guilty of is I'm going to leave out a few things. And you tell people up front. But you know all the details. And so what's happening is, is when you read through the scriptures of the New Testament, what the scholars are saying, there are too many details. For it to be passed along as just a myth or a story or fiction that someone made up. An example of that is in Mark 40, 40, Mark 4, verse 36. It says, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. So there's the story. They took Jesus. They put him in the boat. And that's what people would tell. But then the story goes on and says, And there were other boats with them. What difference does that make? If you're just telling the story to make yourself look good or you're telling the story that someone told you that someone told you, you'd leave that out. But they're telling you, I was there, and they took Jesus, they put him in the boat, and there was a whole bunch of other boats out there. In Mark 14, verses 51 through 52, it's the arrest of Jesus. And you've got this whole section where he's dealing with the, with the centurions and dealing with the guards. And they arrest Jesus and they begin to take them away. And there's this little segment, you know, your Bible's broken down into sections. And all of a sudden, just out of the blue, there's this little like two or three section phrase that says a man flees. And it says that a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. What does that have to do with the story if you're trying to make this great story to sort of stop and say, no, by the way, I looked over there and I saw this. It's because the person was there. They saw it and they go, I want to give you the whole detail. This happened. And then there was this, this weird man and he ran away naked. And that's how the scholars are saying we know there's just way too many details in the scriptures for this to not be from eyewitnesses. The next, which is also to me one of the most important parts, is what Peter's saying, it's not about me. I am not writing about me. I'm not trying to make it about me. It's about Jesus. Because that's what the false teachers were saying. Oh, the apostles are trying to make it about them. They're trying to become important. But you see, the way I look at it, if the disciples' story became a television show, when they were with Jesus. So I want to be very careful. If the disciples' story became a TV show and it was about the time that they were with Jesus only, it'd look a lot like Gilligan's Island. I mean, it just, it just would because as you go through there, 
They're just doing things that are silly. Jesus is constantly going, guys, they're going to Samaria. And if you watch, I love the way the, the, the movie Chosen, the series Chosen shows it. They're going into Samaria and they're sort of figuring out that God, that Jesus has power and that he can do these great things. And these men come up and they sort of mock Jesus. And the disciples go, oh, oh, throw lightning on them. Come on, burn them up. You can do it. And he has to stop. They go, no, that's not the way it works. In Luke 9, chapter 46, this theme comes up and you think they get it. And it says an argument among arose, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. They are sitting there with Jesus, the man that is going to redeem them and give them access and a relationship with God our Father. And they're arguing as to which of them is going to be the greatest. And Jesus had to gather them together and he got, he actually He got a child and he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he is least among you all is the one who is great. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. He settled it. We're done with this argument. Luke chapter 9, the disciples argued about who was going to be the greatest. He said it and told them, and it's done. Except we get to Luke 22. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Does it sound familiar? We just have the story. And once again, he has to say, for who is the greater one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines, it is not the one who reclines at the table? but I am among you as one who serves. Once again, he's still having to remind them because they're just having a hard time figuring it out. And if Peter was writing all of this, and if the apostles were writing this to make themselves look good, then why in in, in Matthew 16, 23, it tells us that Jesus turned to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I'm trying to make myself look good, and I walked with Jesus, and Jesus was my buddy, and oh, by the way, he told me, you're a hindrance to me, get away from me. You wouldn't write that. See, what really, the words that really explain what's going on, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when Paul's speaking. And he's telling them, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I didn't tell you about myself. I didn't tell you about the great things I'd done. I didn't tell you about all the important things that I've been a part of. No, I told you about the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. I'm not trying to impress you, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, may not rest on me, but on God's power. 
spend a lot of time on that, but that's what they're trying to say. This is not about me, it's about Jesus. And I'm gonna, and they did. They spent a lot of time saying, I didn't come to you so that you'll look at me. I came to you so you'll look at Jesus. So Peter goes on and also says, I'm writing about life and death. Verse 19, he says, as a light that shines in a dark place. What were to be a light that shines in a dark place. No wonder Peter could say that the prophetic word is confirmed and that it is, as the scripture says, a light that shines in a dark place, something we should cling to until the day dawns, which is the return of Jesus. It's about life and death. These are important things that you need to know about. And he's making sure that he's established this. This is the written word of God. And this is the big one where it comes in and says, we talk about that the, the scripture is the word of God, that God breathed, that these are words that were breathed of God. And trying to grab your hands around that, trying to understand, uh, trying to get your mind around that. And it's just sometimes it's hard. And so something that I was reading as I was reading through this, the words that were used here just really helped me out. The word that he used when he talks about the written word of God being the breath of God, being the wind of God, being coming out of the mouth of God, is the word pharaoh, which is the gust of wind to rush. Now, I've always heard it as the breath of God, but never just this wind, this gush of wind. And so what came to mind was, was a ship that was out in the waters. And back, back at this time, these people knew. They knew how to sail because that's the only thing they had was sailboats. And so they're out in the water, and there's in that boat, there's a captain. And he's going to drive that boat. I mean, his training, his traits, the way that he does things, because everyone does things differently. His skills are there, standing there. But if there's no wind, he's going to stand there because there's nothing you can do. But when that wind comes, he's going to furl those sails out. He's going to grab that wind and he is going to go. And that's what God is talking about. They may have picked up that pen and they have stood there and they may have said, God's got something to say. But they didn't write one word down until that wind carried them and took them in the direction that they needed to go. He was giving this defense and talking about those things to make sure that you understand that I'm defending the Word of God. Because if you don't have the Word of God to stand on, you don't have much to stand on. As he said, he talks about, we heard this very voice from heaven. You see, soon these voices that the, from the apostles, the things that they were saying as eyewitnesses, they weren't going to walk around the church anymore. We we're going to have to depend on the words that were written down. These testimonies be written down and then affirmed as reliable witnesses of God. And what I mean is affirming is that the Bible is the one book that self-affirms itself. A lot of times you'll see scholars that will go in and say, well, I read you know, this historical novel and I was reading it. And the way I know that it's true, because if I go over to this other historical novel and I see that this happened and it's in this book, and then I go over here and I see this and it happened in this book, that's how they confirm it. But the Bible is the one book that you can say, if you look in the New Testament and it says this, all you got to do is go to the Old Testament, and the Old Testament says that this is going to happen. 
And in the Old Testament, it says this is going to come to pass, and you go to the New Testament, and it comes to pass. So they're affirming the prophets from the old. John Mark would record the experience and observations of Pete himself in the Gospel of Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The apostles were spread out, and they were writing about each other. But we find no discrepancies in the stories that they're telling. You see, this testimony fully confirms the Old Testament prophets. Pete was clear that the Old Testament prophets all spoke of this time, of what was going on in history. And the Scriptures were confirming what the apostolic witnesses wrote down. And the prophets are confirmed by the apostolic testimonies. So we know that what was said in the Old Testament came to life in the New Testament. And so Peter tells us, pay attention to the word, the light shines by this prophetic truth. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter is telling us to fix our hearts on the return of Christ. The morning star rises until the day dawns. Put your hearts on the return of Christ. Dr. Jeremiah, one of the things that he says is that Christ's return isn't the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the light that heralds eternity, heaven and fulfillment of all God has promised to his children. Because the word is our illumination. Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. The gospel is our light, Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has a light shone. The light is our armor, Romans 13-12. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. See, the Word of God is the only guide, the only guide we can always count on in difficult times. We have someone in the office that works with us on some of the words that we write and that we put in the, in the notes, and we sort of, we were going back and forth on this one. It's a guide that we, we can count on. And I says, no, we, we, it's more than that. It's the only guide that we can count on. There's other books that will help us, but this is the only one that we can always, every time, count on in difficult times. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word will always guide our way. The Word will separate truth from falsehood. The Word will differentiate our thoughts from the faults of God. We always say, how do I know? How do I know? You have to break that down to, is that our thought? Or is that the faults of God? And how do I figure that out? Right in here. You go to the Word of God. And it'll figure that, and it'll show you what you need to know to know whether it's your thoughts or it's the will of God. You see, Peter wanted us to know, and as he's beginning to, to tap this up, he says the scripture is not from human origin. 
knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's interpretation. We have theologians that write commentaries. Now that is someone's interpretation. One of my favorite books, Bibles, is the David Jeremiah Study Bible. Now at the top, it has the Word of God, and at the bottom, it has his interpretation. I'd like to see what he has to say about it, but it's not the Word of God when he, when he talks about what he thinks it is. It's his interpretation. And Peter tells us that, the, that no prophecy or scripture comes from someone's interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. And this is where it comes into that word about the wind and the carrying the ship across the ocean as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, we have to recognize that God wrote through inspired writers' hands and hearts. God breathed on them. God gave them the wind. God gave them the ability to go in the direction. Now, we can see their characteristics. We can see their traits. You'll see where it says, well, we believe that Paul wrote this because when he talks, he always did this. And we, we know that, that James wrote it because when he talks, it always does this. They're the captain of the boat. They're, they're, they're driving, but they have to go where the wind takes them. They want to do it and sort of add their little twist to it and sort of change the word of God. The wind will never take them there. That's why we, we have to say that it is the word of God as he breathed it. Never produced by the will of man. The human writers of scripture were carried along. What Peter's saying is, I need you to put these reminders. And however you remind yourself, notes on your phone, as alerts, posting notes on your refrigerator, notes on your bathroom wall. Write these notes down that says, remind me that the qualities that will, of the qualities that will keep me from falling. Remind me that I need the Word of God every day. And remind me that I won't be here forever. So what I do now makes a difference. Because we keep building upon this. We keep building upon the, on what's going on. We keep building upon what Pete was saying is, I want to remind you. And we need to leave that legacy where people will say, I saw them follow what the Bible says. When the world would come and try to change things, they'd always go to the Word of God. So let me see what the Word of God says. Are we driving people to the Word of God? And the advice we give, and the way we mentor people, and the way that we live our lives, are we driving them to the Word of God so that we can be part of that reminder? This is important and has eternal consequences. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we. We just contemplate your word, a word that yeah, your, power, your word is powerful no matter what it's doing. But a word that's just not this great message that we see the world being changed through it. But it's just a message where, where Pete just got his people together and just says, hey, I know you're listening to the message that I give. And, and you, know, you had that great mountaintop experience, but I need, let's get real for a moment. I need to remind you of some things. 
But at times we don't like reminders. We feel like we're being treated as kindergartners. There's times that we need to be open to your reminders in our heart. Remember the things that will keep us from, that if we do them, will keep us from falling. Remember that you are what's most important. And anything that we do should draw people to you, not to us. God, help us to become less in you, become more. In your name.